Welcome to Living Truth Radio. We're in the book of Genesis. Before we get there, though, our mission is to reach people, to equip the saved, and to reach the lost. And we need you to partner with us in prayer and in giving. So if you're part of our ongoing listening family, you've been benefiting from these broadcasts, would you go to livingtruthradio.org and donate to this ministry so that we can reach many more people. We want to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us with that today. livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. So today in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at a, a really a controversial chapter. It's filled with a lot of messy stuff. Judah making bad decisions, his sons making bad decisions. But in the end, God is going to weave it together for good and produce from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. He's going to redeem it all. And we're going to find even Tamar, who's at the heart of the story in the very genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Living Truth Radio a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 38, verse 2. So he married Shua, and Shua, um, her, her, actually the daughter of Shua, and her name is actually Bath Shua. Now, Bath is just the ma- name for the daughter daughter of. So Bathsheba, we don't really know if, we don't actually have a record of her name, but uh, that's the best we can do. So she conceived, verse 3, and bore a son, and his name, he named him Ur. Ur means awake or watchful. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. Onan means strong. And she bore still another son and named him Shelah. Shelah means petition or request. And it was at Chezib that she bore him. So all of a sudden, now you have a family. He marries this Canaanite lady. Three sons are born, and there's now a family from this relationship. And Judah uh, took a wife. Now, there's a lot of time that goes by. And just a side note, when you're reading your Bible, sometimes there's huge gaps, and the Bible does not attempt to uh, you know, give you all the detail. This is, there's a, some time that went by. Now, Judah took a wife, same uh, word as in verse 2 for taking. He took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Tamar's name means palm. And so all of a sudden now, Ur has grown up, and a wife is chosen now by dad, Judah. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. And here's one of your prickly verses for tonight. So the Lord took his life. The Lord took him out. The Lord killed him. I don't know what he did wrong, but suffice it to say, the Bible says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What did Ur do and how did he die? We don't know, but we do know that he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death. You can write down 1 Chronicles 2.3. This is where the saying comes from, to err is human. What? Is that wrong? <laughs> err was evil. Err, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so Judah said to Onan, son number two, 
Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. So son number one, Ur, is dead. And the cultural and Old Testament practice in this case was if a man died and left his wife without a child, the younger brother was to marry her. He could then raise up children in the name of his dead brother. In fact, the son that was born would be named after the dead brother. He would bear the name of the fallen brother. And so this is how things work. This is called the Leveret Law. And this is what it says. This is actually in the Law of Moses, the Leveret Law. It's spelled L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. Lever means brother-in-law. So here's what it says. If you want to turn there, it's Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son... The wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Deuteronomy 25, 6. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. Here's the idea. This was the way to continue the family line. If no child was born to that brother, then his name would cease so the next brother in line was supposed to give a child to the, the wife and in essence to the brother. And that child would be considered the child of his dead brother. He would bear his name and he would have all the rights of the firstborn. So this is how they did it in the ancient days. They wanted to make sure they preserved family lines and this was all very important. And Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, verse 9, Genesis 38. So it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. Now, he had no problem sleeping with her, right? I mean, you would think if he, if he really didn't want to participate in this, and, and I think all of his reasons are selfish. His reasons are... I think he either wants the right of the inheritance himself or he doesn't want to give a child to the, to the brother. Whatever his reasons are, he sleeps with her, but then he does not perform his duty. And in this particular case, he does not give offspring to his brother. This was a very bad career move, by the way, by Onan, because he did what was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him too. Brother number two, gone. Did not perform his duty to his brother and therefore gone. Married her, was willing to sleep with her, but that's it. Now there's two strikes. Strike one, son number one, gone. Strike two, son number two, gone. And if you're dad, you think, well, I got one left, right? And this woman seems to be bad news. Do you remember in the New Testament, Jesus was told a story, and uh, this was told by the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. They told a story about this woman who was married to seven different brothers. Remember that? And each brother has the woman, and each brother ends up dying. And then they say, okay, in the resurrection, who's she married to? Dun, 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 dun. We got him now. No, you don't. Jesus said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are, keyword, like the angels. You don't become an angel when you go to heaven or in the resurrection here, but you are like the angels. In what sense? Well, your marriage seems to be only for this time. 
Your focus is now going to be on the Lord. In fact, the church is called the bride of Christ. And so uh, I will just say this, that, uh, you know, people who have questions about sexual conduct and what persons can and can't do, they go to this particular Bible verse and they try to make cases for other things here. This is not a case for anything but a man who who did not perform his duty. So you cannot build any other cases that you might want to build about sexual ethics from this particular verse, and I'm not going to say any more about it. Verse 11. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So here's what father-in-law says, Judah says. He says to Tamar, okay, uh, your husbands are dead, two sons are gone. Stay a widow, stay in your father's house, and my youngest, when he grows up, then he'll have you. So in a sense, she's betrothed to the last son. And But secretly, Tamar doesn't know this. Dad was thinking, this is not good, man. Now, are you all glad? I just want to park here for a second. Aren't you glad the Bible's real? Some of you are here tonight, you're like, what in the world's going on? This is the Bible. The Bible talks about stuff like this. This is stuff that you see on television. Special episodes of Jerry Springer and things like this. Look, the Bible is pure honesty. In the patriarchal family, the 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah. What in the world's going on here, you might say? Well, the Bible gives you warts and all. You read your Bible, you're going to run into some things that will both astonish you and simultaneously give you hope. And I think you all know what I mean. So he says, okay, you stay a widow, go back home, and we'll we'll get Shelah prepared, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Now, after a considerable time, verse 12, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. So now it shifts, and uh, Judah's wife dies, sadly, and he mourns for her, middle of verse 12. And now there's a time for sheep shearing that's going to happen at this place called Timnah, and he and his friend uh, Hira the Adulamite are now together. And it was told Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to share his sheep. Now, what's been happening in terms of uh, uh, Tamar is she's just been in a holding tank. She's just been waiting. She's been waiting for her father-in-law to act. And she's in a very difficult position. Here's why. Widows had very few rights in those days. What was her right of redress? What could she do to get her father-in-law to give the last son to her so she could produce offspring? She was stuck. Widows had very little rights in these days, so she basically just had to sit there without a man in her life, without being, produce, being able to produce offspring, and just wait for him to be true to his word. In fact, Judah had her over a barrel. And there are some people, and you, you may be one of them tonight, who you feel like you're over a barrel. You're stuck because you're waiting for the decision of somebody else to help you make your decision. And that's an unfair position for somebody to put you in. 
And so she's been, she's been waiting and she's been waiting and a considerable time, verse 12, goes by. And uh, so much so that uh, Judah's wife dies here and he goes up at this sheep shearing event. And just uh, a side note, what would happen is two times a year, they would have sheep shearing and sheep shearing was a very festive occasion. In fact, scholars compare it to the harvest festivals of Israel. It could be carried, twice, carried out twice annually, once in the spring, once in the early fall. And Judah would be going to visit his buddy Hira. And as a Canaanitess, Tamar knew that cultic prostitutes would be out selling their services. They would especially be present at these sheep shearing times because they, they kind of linked cultic prostitution to magical rites that appeased the gods to give you more flocks and more uh, crops. So they tied all of this in. Their religious practices, they're sometimes called fertility practices in the ancient world. What they did with cultic uh, temple prostitutes was to appease gods to get more crops and more flocks. So they would be out, and uh, Tamar certainly knew this, and so uh, here's what's going on. Father-in-law is going up. He's gonna go up for the sheep shearing, very festive time. He's just suffered a major loss, and so here's what she does. She's about to act, and she removed her widow's garments, 14, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself, and sat in the gateway of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been get, given to him as wife. So Tamar, was, her clock was ticking, as it were, and uh, she figured, well, you know, he's going to go out for this festive occasion. I'm in my mourning garments, sitting here, waiting for him, and it's obvious to her at this point he's not going to act. And so she dresses up like a prostitute. And when Judah saw her, verse 15, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So here comes father-in-law walking through this gate where temple prostitutes may have uh, gathered at this time. And he sees her and her face is covered. She's got on the garb of a prostitute. This almost sounds like a bad episode of cops. <laughs> and he turned aside to her by the road and he said to her, here now, let me come into you. This is just another way of let's have sex. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? So Judah takes the bait. His sexual appetite will not tolerate postponement. I'm quoting another writer. Though he had been content to let Tamar languish as a childless widow indefinitely. Just think of the irony here. He was willing to leave her to suffer, and he didn't seem to care about the time. But the moment he saw a prostitute after his wife was dead, he had to get sexually gratified himself. See something wrong there? You know, the Bible tells us that we should be not just looking out for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others. If Judah had been walking in love, he would have done something, at least been honest with the girl and said, look, I don't want to give my last son to you. I'm sorry. Maybe we got to work something else out. But look, he just left her there to suffer. And he went on. And the first woman that he sees that he thinks he can be sexually gratified, all of a sudden, now he's willing to do that. He said, therefore, I will send you. She says, well, what are you going to give me? And he said, I will send you a kid from the flock. This is a goat. She said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? Okay, you're, you're, you say you're going to do this, and uh, you're going you're to give me this goat. Well, what kind of guarantees do I have? So this is sex in exchange for a goat. 
Simply put, if you're a note taker, you probably never thought you would write a note like that in church, but there it is. But there was no goat there except for Judah. He was the goat. She says, I'll sleep with you, but she asked for this pledge, and we'll see what that's going to be. But I think here Judah has become the goat. In fact, this whole story gets my goat. (laughs) I just thought I'd throw that in for you. Anybody know where that saying came from? This story gets my goat. Comes from Genesis 38. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea if it does. It's possible, but I don't know that. So So she says, well, what pledge will you give to me? What pledge? uh, He said, which uh, pledge shall I give you? He's talking. And she said, your seal. If you have a New King James ESV, it's your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, he slept with her, and she conceived by him. So the child conceived for Ur was not a grandchild of Judah. This is kind of weird. Tamar was set to become the progenitress of the line of Judah, a principal matriarch in Israel, bearing the son of Judah herself. It's, it's a bit strange. This is kind of a weird thing. There's a father-in-law involved here, and it's, it's quite, quite a mess. Giving these items to her, notice her, uh, he would give his seal or his signet and his cord, is an ancient way of giving your license and social security number to somebody. It declared your identity. His signet was not a ring, but a seal. It might have been cylindrical that he wore around his neck. The staff was often carved with an equally, equally distinctive marking. So he gave some of his most personal items to her. He would take this signet off from around his neck. And if you've heard of the idea of the seal, you know that in the ancient world, what they would do is they would take hot wax, and you've heard of the idea of the signet ring, and they would impress the hot wax with a marking. And that hot wax would bear what we might call the signature of an individual. The the tomb of Jesus was sealed by the Roman emperor, Pontius Pilate. And you had to have authority to break the seal. As I started in Revelation 5, that's the idea. The seal speaks of two things primarily. It speaks of ownership and protection. It speaks of identity as well. Now, there's an interesting verse I want to take you to this because this is a question that comes up. Go all the way to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. So people say, people have questions about salvation all the time. They call the Bible Answer Show and they say, you know, can you lose your salvation? Uh, what happens here? How does this work? Well, let's take a look, thinking about this idea of a seal. Pick up this, the account. Uh, this is Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. It says, in him you also, Ephesians 1, 13, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, of your salvation, Ephesians 1.13. Having also believed, so notice the progression, you listen to the message of truth, the gospel, you believe, then you are, notice, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, for the Christian, God's seal, his impression, his mark of ownership on you, speaking of identity, ownership, and protection, is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the the modern Greek here, who is given as a pledge, look at verse 14, of our inheritance with, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. 
The Holy Spirit given as a pledge of our inheritance. The, the pledge is, in modern Greek, it is arhabon, and it is actually an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to you, promising what he's going to do. You may say, well, how long are you sealed with this promise? Go to Ephesians 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30. This is talking about a Christian, and it's talking about a Christian who should not let unwholesome words come out of their mouth. If you look at Ephesians 4.29, it says you're a new person in Christ, so you should let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, Ephesians 4.29. But only such a word as is good for edification, that means to build up somebody, according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were what? Sealed for what? The day of redemption. Now, the day of redemption speaks of the final day when we experience the redemption of our bodies. That's Romans chapter 8. When the Lord comes, our bodies will get redeemed. We'll become, uh, we'll get a new resurrection body, never to be diseased, die again, etc. Praise God. But in the interim, as we battle with the flesh and so forth, the Holy Spirit lives in us, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with him for the day of redemption. My friends, you, if you're a Christian, belong to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And he's not gonna leave you or forsake you, but you can grieve him. You can quench him. And... The Lord will discipline his children. So if you're messing up, what, what's some of the things that you feel as a Christian when you mess up? Go back to Genesis 38. How about this? Ever feel conviction when you mess up? Yes. Where's that come from? You know, when I was a non-Christian, I could send up a storm one day, wake up the next and say, hair of the dog, baby, and do it again with very little uh, problem for my conscience. But I became a Christian, and I discovered a new truth. You could say a new presence in my life. It was a sense of conviction, and I didn't enjoy sin anymore. <laughs> well, the moments were still kind of fun, but then I would have this deep sense of, that's not you anymore. And I would go, ouch. Ouch, what is this thing? They didn't tell me this when I walked down the aisle at the Christian church. Some of the truths we hold back for later spiritual maturity and development. We have it in the small print. You may not have read it before, but we do put it in the contract. You're sealed with God's seal. You belong to him. Now, Judah is up to no good, though. And so here he is, and he gives his most personal items to his daughter-in-law. He doesn't know that it's her, but he's with her, and she's got the stuff, and the deed is done. And then, 38, 19, back in Genesis, she arose, departed, removed her veil, put on her widow's garments, 3820. And when Judah sent the kid or the young goat by his friend the Adulamite, so he sent his buddy to go and complete the transaction, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. It's interesting, he sends his 
his buddy, his Canaanite friend, to go take care of the transaction, to honor his part, to pay what he said, and he wants his stuff back. Kind of like uh, if someone was holding your license and credit cards or something like that, I'm sure there was a sense of urgency. Like, please go get this stuff. You're a local around there. Take care of this for me, right? So off goes Hira, and uh, he can't find her. Where is this woman? He asked the men of her place, saying, well, where's the temple prostitute, 21, who was by the road at Anaim? But they said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Hmm. Strange. So he returned to Judah, and he said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has no, there's been no temple prostitute here. And can you imagine being Judah? What? What are you talking about? Yeah, here's your goat back. Uh, I can't find this woman. Well, Judah said, well, let her keep them, lest we become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this kid or goat, but you did not find her. Now Judah worries about what the people or the men of the town are going to think of him. He doesn't want people to be telling jokes about him. You know you're in trouble when you worry more about man's opinion than you do about God's. Amen. If you've been there lately, if you've been thinking, oh, so-and-so is going to laugh at me if I say I'm a Christian. Can I give you two words that may help guide the rest of your Christian experience? Who cares? Is it really that important to you? Or is God's opinion more important to you? So if you're thinking right now, my life is too much of a mess, I have nowhere to go, this is a great time to look up, look to the Messiah, look to Jesus, and say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way instead of my way. I'm going to turn my life over to you. If you want to do that right now, and I would encourage you to do that, if you're a prodigal, if you're not a believer, or if you're a believer and you're in a mess, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I repent, I believe you died on that cross for me, I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm going to put my full trust in you right now, and I'm going to lay this mess before you and ask that you'll be gracious to me. And you know, folks, what we do see is that through Tamar and through all the mistakes of this chapter, through the line of Judah, even though Judah didn't do the right thing and she, Tamar, was more righteous than he, through the line of Judah comes the lion of the tribe of Judah who has come to save us. God is so good and he's filled with grace and mercy and loving kindness. This is our God. And this is Living Truth Radio. Welcome aboard. My name is Pastor Michael Lance. We're glad that you're listening. Just want to remind you to go to our website. There you'll have a chance to donate and partner with us so we can reach more people like you with this saving message. It's livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Andy Chapel and Oscar Santa Cruz, this is Pastor Michael. We'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.